0: Welcome to our second breakfast of champions. Um, I must yeah. offer you all a croissant. Anyone? Anyone for a croissant? I just ate no, just thing. it. Yeah. Um, uh, some interesting. Ah, Masami, Masami. needs the food, and we also have um, some lovely nectarpresso. Anyway, uh, we have four world champions with us. Three of them from the class right here in Portugal. We have the uh, 2003 world champion. Hessel Roskam, the 2005 champion Ian Odi, and the 2013 champion Marcus Feldman. And then next to me, we have the 1987 four-wheel drive off-road world champion, the 1988 112th electric world champion, 1989 two-wheel drive and four-wheel drive electric world champion, the 1991 two-wheel world champion, the 1993 four-wheel world champion, 1996 Pro 10 world champion, 1996 12th world champion, 1997 four-wheel drive off-road world champion, the 1998 <laughs> 9 two-wheel drive world champion, 2000 Pro. 10 and 12th world champion, the 2002 12th world champion, and the 2004 won 12th legend world champion, the legend Masami Hirasaka. Masami, how do you do? Um, we asked a lot of questions. I got my first. My first question is Masami. Masami, there is a very famous picture of you in front of all your cars and all your trophies. How long did it take to set that picture up? How long and how, to just get all those cars and trophies together? You mean the, for
1: only for take picture? Yeah. How many days? Yeah. Okay. Uh, one day, take off from box, <laughs> and second day, uh, display, <laughs> and third day, take photo. Fourth day,
0: in the box, four days. <laughs> <laughs> That's dedication indeed. Um, as you brought up, what we really want to know is, is to get to know, and I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, and I think, you know, uh, my feeling is that when, when Ian became world champion in 2005, how old were you? I think you might be the oldest first time world champion. Without
2: working it out, you've put me on the spot now really, Uh, 2005, so that's uh, 14 years years ago, I'm 53 now, there's no secret there, Um, so yeah, I probably was the oldest
0: world champion, yeah. Hessel, uh, you won in in 2003, is it in question really, 2003 world champion, second running of this event, did it change your life at all in any way?
3: Yeah, I think so because it 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 made some things possible uh, in in the sport, you know, sponsorships and and uh, so it yeah for sure. And Marcus won in two thousand
0: thirteen. Marcus, uh, I don't know why, but when I when I looked at the results, I thought you won like loads of times before. Was it oh finally I've won in two thousand thirteen?
4: Yes, surely it's uh, it's it's uh, basically the same history for me with the uh, European Championships. I finished five times second. Always a little, little bad luck at the end and uh, finished second. So uh, it happened the same in the Worlds. I always finished second or third and uh, it worked out in the qualifying, but never in the finals.
0: Masami, you won your first world championship in 1987. Uh, we've just found out you beat uh, Ian in that very event. Um, what was it like to, to be world champion for the first time?
1: Feel, my feel, yeah. uh, very surprised.
0: Because yeah. you actually turned up and I think Schumacher gave you the car at the event, didn't they?
1: Yes, just before day of race,
0: and then he went on to win thirteen more. Do you have a favorite, well, your favorite world championship, the one you feel the most special about? Uh, two wheel drive world,
1: yeah, in United
0: States, and why is that? Because most difficult to win, <laughs> two times, twice. twice. <laughs> twice. Now, now the interesting is that you, know, you guys all have um, you know, different careers. I mean. I think it's well known you are the racing dentist, Marcus. I mean, is I mean, did you was there ever an opportunity for you to go, you know, sort of fully professional in RC, or, or did you always want to, to carry on the medical profession? Yes,
4: I, ne- I never wanted to be a hundred percent professional in the RC because I, I see already twenty years ago that uh, there was ups and downs, and uh, therefore I I like. Living and uh, I think it's more safe to stay out of the RC business to to have a regular income uh, It's nice. It's also uh, Fascinating, but uh, I think uh, there's also one point in your life You want to get settled and this is not possible with RC traveling around the world
0: Now I have a question for you. Yes. Have you ever used any of your dentist drills to do some work on your RC car? Of course,
4: <laughs> of course but uh, more or less my dad did always
0: So there we are, it's a small stuff. Uh, Hesel, you've kind of formed your own manufacturing company, haven't you? Was that as a result of your success or just because that's what you like doing anyway?
3: I don't know if it was a result of the success, but um, I started drawing parts and guys came to me because I had a machine and I made some prototype parts and that just went, yeah, crazy. Uh, So that's why I I, I bought a machine first uh, in my house, in the garage, and then it also was so much work, so uh, I stopped my career in uh, in a printing company, and then I, I started five years ago. And so all
0: the stuff you make is for RC cars, or do you make stuff? Oh no, what else do you make for?
3: Yeah, I, I think thirty percent is RC now. In the beginning, it was one hundred percent, and the rest is medical industry uh, f- for machines, r- everything. So some,
0: did you come up with these ideas when someone come to you and say, "Oh, we'd like you to design this new widget for uh, for a I don't know an X-ray machine or something"?
3: No, actually, it, it's only um, uh, people come to me with drawings, and um, and then I make the, the parts for them, also the prototype parts. But no, I, I never came up with something, you know, uh, that would be nice. Though.
0: I think Ian, you're probably best known now for your engineering um, for the the Reliant Kitten and the and the crazy Six R4. Um, I mean, I think all give us that, tell, tell us why you wanted to make a replica Six R4 and how difficult it's turned out to be a Metro rally car replica.
2: It's, it's a lot more difficult than most people realise. Um, the reason for making it is, because my, a lot of my business is RC-related, um, and obviously I'm for chairman, and I go to a lot of races and things, sometimes it gets too much, it's no longer a hobby and fun, so you need a break for something else. So I do a lot of engineering on race cars and fuel tanks and things like that. Um, and building the Metro, it's a mad car, isn't it, really? From the 1980s, they were banned from rallying and things. Um, and you just look at it and you think, I need one of those. <laughs> so, so I decided I would build one.
0: From a basic Metro shell, I mean, it sounds quite easy. But what, what was the most difficult part of the job? I suppose you start with a front engine Metro, making a, a mid-engined race car. I mean, was it was everything difficult? Was it actually turned out to be less hard than you thought it would be?
2: You have to do a little bit of planning before. You can't just start with the angle grinder and cutting a car up to make something like that. Um, but it's, it's not hard. If, that's, if you're into that way of thinking and engineering and thinking ahead as well, that's the key to a project like that. You can't cut something off and then a week later you say, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. It's planning, isn't it? Um, and if you plan and you think and you're, that's where you that's
0: the way you think, it, it's not so hard. And it's obviously only got a sad little two and a half litre. It's a two and a half litre engine, but three litre engine from uh, a 4 I believe you've got some plans for that to get a few more horsepower.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, when I finish this meeting, it's going to get a turbo on it and rebuild the engine and things. So, yeah, it'll be more exciting then.
0: And what are you aiming for, 400, 450 horsepower?
2: 450, 500. That should make it entertaining, whereas it's less than a tonne. <laughs>
0: Should be good. It was at Sanderport. Um, Sam, you, you kind of stopped racing in, in World Championships, I think, about 2006. But I, I, from following you on, on Facebook, you, you seem to do a lot of TV appearances. You're on Japanese TV. What, what are you doing for Japanese TV the whole time? What, what, what programs are you on?
1: Uh, mostly uh, variety. Mm-hmm. It's like a uh, very, very special one.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And they, what do they ask you to do? Like a uh, field drive,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, racing with uh, car, mm-hmm. real car or uh, many many super big jump not a uh, standard race
0: <laughs> and and did you beat did you beat the real car yes excellent that's good yes. to know <laughs> and you've also uh, yeah, you you've um uh, moved into um the organisation side with femco and you're yeah. here obviously was that was that something you always wanted to do or did it just happen
1: uh i like to th- do that mm-hmm. uh because uh I know what is drivers thinking, mm-hmm. so when I organise, I know uh, everything, so uh,
0: it's easy for me. And when you're refereeing, do you find it easy to penalise the drivers? Do you think, oh, he didn't mean that, do you, think, do you think you're a severe referee, or do you think you're quite a, a nice referee?
1: Both. <laughs> <laughs> referee is
0: so difficult,
4: yeah.
1: not easy.
0: Is it harder than driving?
1: Easy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well it's 14 Whitechapel would say, so you've done that refereeing and organising and racing. I mean, is, is, is refereeing the hardest thing to do?
2: It's not so difficult. Once you've driven at the top level, it's quite easy to see the difference between a mistake and somebody trying to be clever and taking somebody out. You can see it. So you don't need to see our replays like everyone else seems to these days. <laughs> if I see the incident from start to finish, I will make my mind up quite quickly.
0: <laughs> Hessel, have you ever been refereed badly by Ian?
3: I actually have never been refereed I by Ian though. No, it, though. I haven't, no, I haven't, no.
0: You obviously are one of these guys who started off by uh, racing with your dad, your dad still come. How important is that kind of father-son thing for, for the racing?
3: Yeah, it's very important. Without my dad, this wasn't even possible. Uh, we started in oh, since I was 13, I'm 40, 41 now, so do, you can do the math. I started in 110 electric off-road. And ever since we've been together, he he also helps in my company. so we're during the week we're also like 40 hours together. so yeah, I think a good relationship is, is very, very important.
0: And kind of reverse that, Mark, because you're bringing your your young lad with you to uh, a lot of these races. Your son, how old is he now? Five,
4: five
0: years now. So when does he get to drive? When when do you retire and, and he gets the car?
4: You already started. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, but now I I don't push him to go to the track just when you ask and uh, he wants because uh, I think the, the 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 biggest mistake you can do is to push your son to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, so if he asks, we go. If he's not uh, interested, we don't go.
0: Now I, I know you from large scale. Did you actually drive the other scales beforehand, or did you just start as a large scale driver?
4: No, no. I started in 1985 with 1/8 one off-road, okay. and uh, I have won a couple of titles there. And uh, then I did 10 years with uh, 1/8 uh, uh, scale on-road, mm-hmm. and in between off-road. And in 1995, I started with large scale. Oh, I, I ninety five that's, that's, that's for large scale. It existed, I thought. <laughs> I didn't the, sec- the second year, there, there was one open European Championship uh, in nineteen ninety-five, and my first European Championship was nineteen ninety-six. But that was by mistake because there was one driver for Larro, a French company, and he uh, shortly before the Euros he uh, quit. And so the guy who was distributing uh, Larro in Germany asked me if I want to jump in, and uh, I, I said, uh, "Yeah, it's, it's fine." And I finished second. So I, from that point, I. Uh, Enjoyed,
0: And the rest they say is history. Masami, have you ever driven these, these large-scale cars? Never. Never? Did you, did you not sit there up and the think, oh I'd like to have a go, see, see if I could win a world championship with this?
1: <laughs> just I want to drive it.
0: Because, yeah. Ian, I, I actually remember reading about, when I started in 1981, and I remember reading about you in the magazines, I think you were doing 8th off-road, and you were always in the magazines, I don't know why, I always think, always think that you came second or third, probably you won everything, I just always seen you came second or third in the, in the magazine report. So how did you find your way to large-scale?
2: Basically, I started in one-tenth off-road, probably in 1980, 81. Started doing European championships, as I said. I did the world championships in 1987 in Romsey. But there was batteries and motors and who could get the best ones and things. And in the early 90s, I switched to uh, one-eighth off-road, uh, doing the BRCA's, doing European things as well the worlds. Um, I won the BRCA championship three times in one-eighth, um, but never really did so well in the worlds and the Euros. And then I saw large scale and I thought, Yes, this is for me.
0: <laughs> is it the same reason that I like large shell because you can actually use a real hammer? Uh I'm very I mean it's, it's the size of the tools really I'm into. I mean so I think you know, it's like you can hit things, you can
3: <laughs> it looks like it but it's actually not because we we actually use quite a lot of the same tools on a 110 car. Only we have like an Allen key 3 <laughs> you know that's uh, and a 4 maybe. So and I that, it it looks like we are all like farmers with big hammers and big wrenches and but it's it's quite actually quite sophisticated it's the engineering yeah. it was it,
0: it, yeah. the engineering i like I mean, obviously as you know i do a lot of work in uh, in full size racing and i and i work in the pits and i we always say this, that you can fix any car you need four things to fix any car you need a, you need the tire wraps need duct tape, you need what we call a four pound lump hammer and these days you also need an iPhone torch and even in Le Mans on a 24 hour race you'll see a, a fully professional mechanic with a lump hammer, tie wrap and everything else. I mean is that is that, is it, do you think that would be a good Toolkit for a large-scale driver?
4: Well, I think not nowadays. This is, <laughs> the, the, the problem is that a lot of people think large-scale is just uh, relaxing and for old people, and but it came so special, and it, it parted, it splitted so much from uh, the original uh, low-speed, easy-to-drive cars, and uh, I have seen a lot of good, really good drivers from other categories trying here and uh, fail, so I think this is one special category. It's
0: certainly special to look at. I mean, the, the difference is obviously, compared to all the other RC categories, you can see these cars handle much more like a real yes, field yes, vehicle absolutely. does, because you're carrying the momentum. And it's, and it's actually, because they've been struggling around here, it's been quite interesting to watch the qualifying, because you can see where things are going wrong and going right. Um, Masami, I, mean, I think just to, to, to go back on a question we asked earlier, obviously you started your career working very closely with your father as your mechanic. How important was that to you and, and your enjoyment of the sport?
1: Uh, we had a very good time. So uh, he was mechanic and a driver. So it very good. Uh, how do you say communication mm-hmm. with our, our family? So it was very good.
0: And what was it like when you started to have to do all all the work yourself when you didn't have a mechanic? Was that difficult, or did you find it easy to be your mechanic as well? Uh,
1: if he mechanic?
0: No, if, when you had a mechanic when when your dad stopped being with you, was it easy to become the mechanic after that? Yeah. After that? Yeah. Uh, I
1: cannot race. <laughs> After that, I have many, many friends because I ask everything. <laughs> Please make uh, shocks. Please make suspension. I only make tires.
0: Well, the tires are the most important thing of any, of any race car. That is true. I mean. It's interesting because we obviously we're talking. I'm going to throw a bit of an open question into this one, which is which someone has asked. and I'm going to ask Ian this one because it's, it's come up another time. We're at the large scale world championship for track. Why is there no large scale world championship for off road?
2: There is, in a, in a vague way, in the European championship, we allow non Europeans to enter, so in a way it's a world championship, but it's not quite. The problem with off road it's even more specialized than touring cars, um, and there is less countries that actually do the off-road Australia is probably the next largest one and and to spread it around the world It wouldn't work at all in many countries and, and and that is why And Hesley, have you ever
0: thought about doing the off-road side as well?
3: I did some races off-road not European championships, but uh, some national races and some indoor races uh, I, I did quite a few,
0: but you just stuck on the flat stuff
3: yeah, well, I, I, I well, like I said, I started in mountain off-road, so I have a lot of experience in that, but still I like the flat stuff much more.
0: <laughs> and Mark has never been tempted to take one of these big things over some bumps. <laughs>
4: Uh, I did. Ah. I did uh, when I was racing with FG. Mm. I, uh, uh, France also asked me to to do some races in off road, but I never liked that. Mm. This is no. This is if you used to one eight off road, and uh, jump into the fifth scale or sixth scale off road, this is completely two worlds. And uh, especially in that time when it still was in the beginning of I didn't like that.
0: Sami, of course, you've won world championships um, on the jumps and world championships on the flat. Which do you prefer? both.
1: <laughs> 50-50. Yeah.
0: Seems fair enough. <laughs> um, when, we, when we're sitting here in, in the sun in Portugal, I'm going to ask uh, a question. Obviously, large-scale is um, a sport we've got, 85-inch. You know, what, what, what could be done to make, make large-scale grow And what do you think is the one thing to make the large-scale... Because everyone comes here seems to have a good time, and it's great to watch, but it's still more niche than some of the other classes.
2: I think a lot of it's PR in individual countries. I don't think you can get the numbers up but at a single event. Mm-hmm. It's promotion in the countries and club racing. And unfortunately, that's, that's dying out. And it's not just in large scale. A lot of classes, the numbers are going down slightly. Um, the competition is, in the modern day is Xboxes and Playstations. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're against. In the 1980s, none of that existed. If people wanted to go out and have fun, RC racing was a, was a good avenue. Yeah. There are so many other hobbies now that are detracting or diverting people's attention from RC? I
4: I agree, I totally agree, because we also make our mind in Germany about uh, the problem in all categories and you see all the young people between eight, nine years old, up to 18, 20, it's so easy to, to just stay at home after school, switch on the television and play the PlayStation or Xbox. And uh, especially uh, you can earn a lot of money if you are good. This is uh, attracting more people than RC racing, especially uh, nowadays. Because
0: one of the things that, we, we, that you, you do learn by actually taking part in racing, you learn basic engineering skills, don't you? which obviously translate into potential real jobs. You know, a few people could win the money on the, uh, on the esports. <laughs>
3: No, it's true. Uh, but you, you need to set up a car. You have, you need, yeah, you have to have some mechanical experience, I think. So, yeah.
0: And is it the same in in Japan, Masami? Or, yeah? yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah. I'm thinking uh, very
1: important to uh, show RC race. Mm. So. It depend on your side
0: <laughs> yeah. oh, it your it's all down to me i see oh fine well obviously if if, if ma would pay us anyway so um <laughs> oh that's coming Um just one more question obviously uh one thing is happening next year uh in uh in japan is the first ever world drifting championship i mean is drifting really big in japan
1: i think biggest
0: yeah yes and why do you think the Japanese like drifting? Is it is it is it because the Fast and the Furious culture? I don't know.
1: it's uh, it's a, a real
0: car.
1: Yeah. Real car drifting very very popular in Japan. Yes, yeah.
0: And you know, do do and is Is that what we need to do to try and get more crossover? Do you think we should start looking at European drifting championships and that sort of thing? In
2: maybe I mean drifting in, in, in full size is also quite popular in the UK now. Mm. Um, so maybe we move,
0: need to move with the times. I I, I don't know.
3: Oh. drifting <laughs>
0: Well we've seen quite a bit of that actually but that's that's just cars which are which are handling very very badly. Um, <laughs> what I'd say is, um, just just going back to to this event and, and the world championship I mean, you, know, you two guys are competing what, what would it actually mean to you personally to win another world championship here this weekend?
4: Oh, a lot. I'm 40 years old now, so... Uh, Positive youngster compared to the rest of us. Yeah, but uh, time is running also for me, and uh, especially here, it, it would be nice to win. It's uh, Now everything is running into the good direction, but we'll see.
0: so if you can pull off a win here, I'm pretty certain it be the longest gap between two world championships at 16 years. Um, you feeling, feeling like that might happen?
3: I don't know. It's still open because the final is one hour, and if I win, I would be drunk for a week. I think. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Seems about fine. Uh, and finally, you obviously, yeah, yeah, the word legend is thrown around too much, but obviously, you are a legend of the sport. Do you, do, you, do you miss the competition? Would you like to come? Do you feel you'd like to come back and race even at, uh, at the level you can do at the age you are? Or do, you, do you want to race again?
1: Yeah, senior race.
0: Yeah, we have we have an over fifties world championship, shouldn't we?
2: really. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, we have a uh, European, yeah. But maybe it should be over 50. Yeah. I think over 50 would be good. good, good and then
0: I, good. I have a chance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah me too. I, I, I could follow you home. We're both. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much. We've got to clear the track and clear the, uh, the air in the breakfast condiments. I'd like to thank uh, Marcus Feldman, Musami Hirasaka, Hesel Roskamp, and Ian Oli for joining us in Breakfast of Champions, episode two here in Portugal. And there'll be more later in the year somewhere. Thank you very much.